We're going to be looking at the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You can find that in your bulletin, or if you're looking through your Bibles and you're not quite sure where that, found, where that lands, it's after the book of Colossians, um, before the books of Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, well, 2 Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Timothy, so you can um, find it there in the middle of those books, or just in your bulletins. Have you ever been on a nostalgia trip? I'm talking about have you ever spent money to travel to a place for the sake of nostalgia? Um, this past summer, Cecilia and I went with the kids to St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is where I went to seminary, spent three and a half years of my life there. Uh, absolutely surprisingly, wasn't expecting it, fell in love with that city, and it really became home to me while I was there. And we went for, we actually were there, General Assembly, our, our denominational meeting, uh, denominational-wide meeting was there as it is um, th this past year. And, and so we went for that, but we did go a few days early just because we needed to rent a car and we needed to drive around and we needed to see the city. And we went to a Cardinals game and there were very, some very specific restaurants that we picked out that we had to go to. Um, I, we drove through our favorite, my favorite parks and my, past my old houses that I lived in while I was there. And it just, it got, it really got me. It really tugged on my heartstrings. I was so nostalgic while I was there. Well, nostalgia is, is an interesting thing. Um, it's this longing for, for something that is now over. Right? It's this, uh, one author calls it a delicious sadness, right? The pain of the loss of the past combined with the joy of remembering it. But behind that longing, that lo the longing of nostalgia is this implicit acknowledgement that the present, no matter how good it is, is not fully satisfying for us. Right, I think the reason we go on nostalgia trips is because we're actually looking for a place where we feel whole, where we feel our true selves, where we feel at home. And maybe this is on my mind because the Christmas season really awakens that in me. I really feel, I get so nostalgic during Christmas. You know, the photo albums come out, the, we hang the ornaments on the tree, we um, maybe tell stories and we have our traditions that we've done for years and it just awakens in me these memories, right? Memories and pieces of who I am, who we are that are fading further and further into the past. And we feel like maybe we've lost some part of ourselves that we can't get back. It's fading into the past. And so nostalgia is just a powerful, powerful feeling because it, it forces us to recognize that we are not fully whole right now. And our passage this morning has something to say about that feeling. It speaks to that sense of incompleteness or that, that lack of wholeness. And it offers to that hope, hope that one day those feelings, that lo those longings will be met. Our passage is also a benediction. That's just a, an old word that means a, a good word or a blessing. And the Apostle Paul, who writes 1 Thessalonians, he concludes all his letters with this blessing. And in fact, we here at DPC, we always close our services with a benediction. It's not a closing prayer. It's, it's not a command. It is a blessing from God himself, spoken by the pastor, but from God himself. 
So we close our services every week with this benediction, and on the last Sunday of the year, we're going to close our year out with this blessing from God. Um, we're going to have two points, if you're a note taker, two points this morning, the goal of this blessing and the basis of this blessing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to our passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read just verses 23 through 24. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is God's good word. Let's pray. Father, we need these words to be true. We thank you that you, in your grace and mercy, you don't send us out into the world with um, commands or to-do lists, but with blessings. Blessings and promises of your grace and mercy to us. Lord, we pray that these, this benediction this morning would awaken in us hope and a deep love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's unpack the first part of verse 23. This is my first point, the goal of this blessing. We're going to try and understand what is Paul even talking about when he says, as he does here, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Do you all know the name Tommy Emmanuel? Um, he's an acoustic guitarist who is widely considered one of the greatest acoustic guitarists of all time, potentially the greatest living right now. He is a, uh, just an absolute phenomenon. He is unbelievably gifted. And of course, he travels the world and he packs out auditoriums of people that want to hear him just play guitar. That is the whole show, as he plays guitar. That's how good he is. I mean, one of the best ever. Well, last week, he played a show in Newberry, South Carolina. Now, if you know nothing about Newberry, uh, this is what you need to know. It is a town of 10,000 people, like in the middle of South Carolina. Um, and if you look at this Tommy Emanuel's tour, you could see that you know, he's in Chicago and New York and LA and Seattle and San Diego and Nashville and Australia. He is all over the world. And then last week, he's in Newberry, South Carolina. Um, what is he doing there? Well, in Newberry, there is an opera house. And it was built in the 1880s. And over the years, it grew kind of dilapidated, and then eventually they converted it into a movie theater. And this was, that's like in the 30s and 40s, they converted it into a movie theater. In the 50s, it had kind of gone out of use, they'd closed it down, and they had decided, we're going to tear it down. Well, there was a public outcry, I guess, and they decided, okay, instead of tearing it down, we're going to restore it. And it took a long time, it, um, it, many, many years later, like in the 90s, actually, so they didn't tear it down, but in the 90s, they hired a couple of actually Greenville architects, the same guys that built the Peace Center, designed the Peace Center, and many other city, uh, buildings here in the city. They hired them, and they restored the Opera House, and they restored it to just this absolute um, thing of beauty. The sound is incredible. You know, the, the, like the red velvet seats that you can picture in an Opera House and the balconies, it, it is stunning. 
And it's so stunning that a guy like Tommy Emanuel, one of the greatest guitarists of all time, will travel to the middle, like a small town south, to play a show at the Opera House. That is something of what Paul is talking about when he speaks of God sanctifying us. To restore, to make new, to like that is what it means for God to sanctify his people. Our, our catechism actually describes sanctification with the word renew. Right? The opera house was renewed, it was remade into the beautiful building that it was meant to be. And God wants to do the same thing with us. He wants to take everything about us that is dilapidated and falling apart everything that feels incomplete or ultimately unsatisfying, and to make us whole in every aspect of our being. And in fact, he takes that so far to say that he wants to sanctify us completely. Now, the Greek word used for completely can actually be translated like complete in your being. That is, and in fact, the next phrase says in your body, right, soul and spirit. That means all of who you are, your, your body, your personality, your thoughts, emotions, choices, your gifts and interests, your spiritual gifts, your soul, all of it, everything that you are, not just how you act, but who you are in your being will be repaired, renewed, made whole. One author called the process of sanctification the process of becoming more human. Right? You know, we often think about Jesus as being an abnormal human. <laughs> right? He was just not normal. Um, and in some ways, it's true, right? He was God. None of that, that is not the normal human experience. He was also God himself. That's not um, true of us, of course. But the Bible seems to teach that we are actually the abnormal ones. We are actually, that Jesus himself is a picture of what true human beings are supposed to be, how they were made to be, and in fact, how human beings were before sin. And so when God remakes us, he, he renews us and sanctifies us, he's, he's actually making us into men and women and boys and girls, that he, that, like the, who we were made to be. He's making us more human. He's going to give us our renewed selves the way we were meant to be. And not only that, but there's also implicit in this passage the idea that he's not just going to give us our true selves, our whole selves. He's going to give us our true home. You know, here's the problem with nostalgia trips. They always disappoint. I mean, I have a very distinct memory of the moment when I realized St. Louis had become home to me. I was driving across the Mississippi River. I'd been out of town for about a month. And I, and I felt this, oh, I'm back. It felt great. Well, when I went back this summer, it didn't quite live up. It didn't, that memory was not quite as um, tangible and real when I visited again. Right? Yeah, there were some of the same restaurants. Of course, some of my favorites had closed or gone or out, of, out of business or moved. They weren't quite what I remembered. Um, you know, someone else lives in the apartments I lived in. Um, in fact, two of my best friends couldn't make it, so that was a big hole. That's not the same. It's disappointing. They, they, they can't quite live up. And it's disappointing because they, the, these, like this attempt to recapture that experience of home, these nostalgia trips, they, they actually can't hold the weight of expectations that we put on them. 
right? We go on these trips to experience a place that felt like home to us, and, 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 and we go because we're not totally at home where we are today. But when we get there, they don't meet the needs that we think that they will, and, 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 and we're all looking for this. We're all looking for this sense of home. As one, one author put it, we're looking for a place that absolutely fits and suits us, where we can be or perhaps find our true selves. Like We want that home. We're looking for it. And the Bible would argue that home is so elusive, not because, you know, maybe our parents moved to Newtown while we were in college, or because, you know, our kids have left the house and the house isn't quite as homey as it used to be, or because the right mix of people didn't show up at homecoming. No, we don't feel at home because we're not actually at home. And we haven't been at home for a long, long time. We were made to be with God and for His, Him and His presence to be our home. And when that relationship with God is broken by sin, we, or, um, we, we lose or we lost the wholeness of ourselves and of our true home. So Paul's vision in our passage today is that your renewed self would be given its true home. Look again at verse 23. He says, May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christmas story is the story of God coming down. The God of the universe becomes a man. He, he lives and dies and rises again on this earth. And that God coming down, that story is the story of the whole Bible. God always comes to us. We don't discover who he is. He tells us who he is. Right? He doesn't tell the Israelites to find a way to heaven. No, he tells them to build a temple, and then he fills the temple with his presence. We cannot climb the mountain to God. God always comes to his people. It was true of Jesus' first coming, and it will be true of his second coming. God doesn't say to find, tell us to find our way home. No, home comes to us. Not a temporal home, but a permanent home, the home we were made for, all of who we are, where we were meant to be, with God and in his presence. That's what's happening when Jesus comes again. You know, 1 Thessalonians, the book itself, if you were to read the whole book, is just really consumed with this idea of what happens when Jesus comes back. And in fact, if you were to turn a few verses earlier in chapter 4, when um, what, what Paul describes about this moment when Jesus returns as he says, um, those who are alive, this is chapter 4, verse 17, those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this is the point I want to focus on. And so, we will always be with the Lord. And so, we will always be with the Lord. That is why Jesus is coming back, so that we can always be with him. That is our home. And so we can't be surprised when that feeling of home is so fleeting and incomplete in this world today. Because we're not home, and we won't be until he comes back. So that's the goal. What about the basis for this blessing? All over the passage is this idea of sanctification, this renewal is first and foremost a work of God himself. And in fact, if we just skim the passage, it says, the God of peace himself will sanctify you. 
that your whole spirit, body, and soul, and body be kept blameless, not will stay blameless, but will be kept blameless. Verse 24, it says, he will surely do it. He will do it. You see, your renewal, your sanctification, your wholeness is not based on you and your determination, but on the character of God. And our passage kind of hits on two particular characteristics of God Himself that He wants us to draw our attention to and meditate on. The first is peace, and the second is faithfulness. What's something that is so is broken that you would be shocked to find healed? Um, if you think about something like, and, and, I, and I say this, um, I don't say this flippantly at all, but if you think about um, addiction, something like addiction, they say that breaking addiction is not as simple as going cold turkey. And in fact, people that have gone cold turkey for years and years will still describe themselves as an addicted person. Right? It's not as simple as just, okay, yeah, I can just leave that. You know, No, the, the, the hold of addiction can last for years and even a lifetime. But what if you woke up one morning and that hold was gone? Not like, okay, I've got a hold on it. You know, I've been, you know, I've got a hold on it now. No, it is, it is gone. The hold on your heart is gone. That would be shocking if that, uh, the switch flipped like that. That would be unusual. Well, I don't know if you know the story of the paralytic man um, from the Gospels. Jesus is teaching in a home, and, and the, the crowd is packed so tightly around the home that no one can kind of get in and out. They're try- you can almost picture them leaning in the windows, desperate to get, hear a, a word from Jesus. He's just captured this crowd, and they're packed in tightly into this, this home to, uh, to hear him. And this group of friends, had, they, had a, they had a friend who was paralyzed, and they decided, we've got to get this guy to Jesus to see if he can heal him. And the crowd's packed too tightly for them to get in, so they climb on the roof, and they rip a hole in the roof, and they actually lower their friend, who's paralyzed, down in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals him. He, t- he just tells him, hey, stand up, right? This is a guy who cannot walk. But Jesus says, stand up. And he stands up and he rolls up his mat and he walks out. And you can just imagine the shock. I mean, the friends, it's true, the friends were hoping that this had ha- would happen. They had heard that it had happened before, but to see it happen to your friend before your eyes, it would have been truly shocking, right? Something that is broken that just would shock you to find healed. Well, what can be missed in the story is what Jesus says just before he heals him. He says, your sins are forgiven. What's most wrong with us? What is most, what's most broken with us? The Bible says that we, because of our sin, have a broken relationship with God. We are enemies of God. And the thing that should be most shocking to us about the story of the paralytic man is not the healing of his body, but the healing of his relationship with God. And we talk about it all the time, and and we can get used to it, but it is not an obvious thing. The gap between a a broken body and a healed body is a lot smaller 
than the gap between a broken relationship with God and a healed relationship with God. But how does Paul describe God? He calls him the God of peace. We in our nature are defined by war with God. We're enemies warring against our Creator. But our Creator is a God of peace. We've said it a hundred times this Christmas season. What did the angels say to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Brian even talked about it last week when he talked about how Isaiah in Isaiah 9 describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And first and foremost, the peace that the little baby boy born in a manger brought about was peace between God and man. Peace, renewal, wholeness between a sinful people and a holy God. A peace is completed. Broken relationship healed because Jesus died in our place. It is not an obvious thing. It was a very hard thing. And yet it is what, who God is and what he does. And what that means is that this sanctification, this wholeness, this renewing, it's assured. The God of peace has healed what is at the very core most wrong with us. And if he's done that, he can do the rest. And he will for those who are in Christ. And that's exactly what verse 24 is all about. It says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is not an opportunist. He doesn't wait around to see what the best options are before making his play. He's also not passively present as a, like, a, like a, a dad who goes to the baseball game, but he just kind of stares at his phone and kind of says, yeah, let me know if you need me. I'll be over here, but just if you need me, let me know. No, God is actively faithful. He doesn't just make promises to us. He goes about completing them. This verse is one of the most pointed and clear promises that the faithful God will do everything he has said that he will do. He will make us whole and he will bring us home. And that's something that we're called to consciously and deliberately look forward to. And I think it's something that is even just wrapped up in the very idea of a benediction or a blessing, right? That there's this goodness that God loves to pour out on his people. And we expectantly hope that he will do that. I think the answer to our longings for wholeness or our longings for home or, is not to just stamp them out or to kind of, you know, paper them over or even just kind of distract ourselves into not feeling them. No, I think God would have us move into those longings with what we might call a redemptive discontent. Um, redemptive discontent isn't longing for things that kind of continue our cycles of brokenness or sin. We're longing for things that actively work against the wholeness that God would want for us and does want for us. No, instead, it's things that are true, that are beautiful. The feelings of places that we love that have a piece of us still in them. The, um, the joys of watching our kids open presents. The, the hominess and comfort of a Christmas tree. Family, friends, memories. Those things, if we let them, can actually pull us towards eternity. You know, there's not a whole lot. It's very, it's very 
um, unusual for us to consciously and deliberately um, like enter into things that pull us outside, beyond themselves towards eternity. But maybe that is exactly what God wants to use. Even things like nostalgia trips or maybe just even the coming down after Chris, the highs of Christmas to actually use those things, not to stamp them out, but to actually take them further, take them into this longing for eternity, which is ultimately a longing for Him. You know, longing, and I'll close with this, longing is an ingredient of hope. When we use the word hope, we often use it just colloquially, like around, you know, what, when we use the word hope, we use it to express longing and uncertainty. Like, I hope I get Legos for Christmas, or I hope it snows this year. Very uncertain. That's probably um, longing and uncertainty, but Christian hope is different. Christian hope is longing for something that is certain. Right? This benediction is a promise. It's a certainty. And here's the certainty in this passage, the hope that you and I long for and that we can stake our life on, that our God loves to bless His people and He loves to keep His promises. And if you are in Christ, God has given and will give you Himself. And that is what it means to be whole. That's what it means to be home. And that is why Jesus was born in a in a stable and laid in a manger. That is why Jesus lived and died and rose again, and that is why he is coming again. And as Paul says here, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do that. Do it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God. We thank you that you love us, your people, and that we can trust everything that you say. Lord, we thank you that our longings will, not, um, will be met. Not because of what we do, but because of what your Son has done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.